You are listening to the APSI Podcast, the association of people supporting employment first, with your host, Chris Davies. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Minnesota APSI Podcast. Hard to believe it's March already, and this is episode three. We are absolutely delighted to have Larissa Beck and John Alexander with us here today, and we're going to learn all about them and who they are, and we're going to dive into a very important subject, which is the task force on ending subminimum wage in Minnesota in just a few moments. But as we always want to do, we want to welcome everybody into the, to the APSI room here, and especially anybody that is new, if you're, if you're just joining us for the first time, we're so glad you found us. want to tell you a little bit about APSI, who we are and what we stand for. We are a national membership organization, and we have 40 or so ch- uh, state chapters as well, including one in Minnesota uh, for quite some time now. We're truly the only membership organization that solely advocates for uh, integrated competitive employment, one person, one job at a time. And we do a lot of policy work as well. And I'm very excited to have uh, our guests with us here today that have been doing, uh, you know, so much, so much work uh, over these last uh, year or so on on a task force towards ending subminimum wage. And uh, great to have you guys. We got uh, John Alexander, who is the CEO with Kaposia Inc., and uh, we actually work together, so I'm, I'm very intertwined with both of these two individuals uh, through work and, uh, and and through pleasure, I would say. Wouldn't you guys? Maybe a little bit, yeah. Maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. So we have John Alexander, and then we have Larissa Beck. Larissa is the Director of Community Living Services for Reach for Resources. So delighted to have you both here today. All right, before we go any further, we want to make sure and give visual descriptions of ourselves. I am a white male. Uh, I am bald, and uh, as I always want to do, I shaved just yesterday before the before this podcast recording, so I'm uh, very bald, and I have a red beard. Today I'm wearing a blue vest with uh, sort of a speckled dress shirt and blue jeans. I am Larissa Beck. I have uh, long brown curly hair, and I'm wearing some jeans and a black cardigan and brown, somewhat random, brown and black shirt. <laughs> and I'm John Alexander, white male, uh, aging, um, not quite bald, but uh, but graying rapidly. Um, I'm wearing a gray sweatshirt and and running shoes. Very good. Well, from my perspective, you have an awesome head of hair, Alex. By the way, <laughs> John Alexander goes by Alex, so I'll be referring to him as such uh, throughout the podcast. Correct? Correct. Yes, that's correct. All right. So uh, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for, for those descriptions. All right. Well, let's learn, uh, you know, before we get into the task force, let's just learn a little bit more about both of you. Uh, your backgrounds, uh, you know, in this field and, and what you've been doing, you know, uh, for the task force. So uh, we're going to start with you, Alex. Tell um, us about yourself. Thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm actually celebrating my 40th year of working in the field this year. 
um, which feels like forever, um, and yet feels like nothing at all. Um, I started uh, in college working at Portland Residence, which was a 100-bed ICF, uh, graduated to working in a behavior home for Dungarvan, um, and then went to work at Rise for 10 years before coming to Kaposia almost 25 years ago. So, yeah, it's crazy. Um, and uh, one of the first people I met was Chris Davies when I came to Kaposia. Um, that is correct. That is correct. We'll, we'll just leave that right there. Um, but uh, but I have enjoyed certainly working with you all these years. And and being a part of Kaposia, you know, it, it makes my life's pretty easy because we have such great people here at Kaposia. Well, that's nice of you to say, and uh, it was very—it was definitely a good day for Kaposia when when you walked through the door. So, yeah, I've known Alex since 1998, which is hard to believe. I know, right? <laughs> it's a long we time. We both had a lot more hair then. <laughs> yes, yes. I actually, yeah, I did have I had a hair back then. Uh, well, thanks, Alex, for for telling us more about yourself and Larissa. Please uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I have um, been in the field and worked at Reach for Resources uh, for almost fourteen years, and had started there as our community living specialist, going and working with people towards independence. Um, and at that point of time, we didn't have anything set up for employment services, and we started working with a couple of people. Um, in regard with employment. And I started with one of them and kind of got the bug a little bit. And, um, you know, it was, it was fun. It was, it was, it was super rewarding to be able to help somebody to find a job. And I didn't know very much about it and what I was really getting myself all into. And it just kind of happened and fell that way. So we started with our one person that I was working with and now have about 70, 75 people that we're working with for employment services. That's fantastic. Well, you're doing great work over there. And I also understand that you are running for the national board, that we are currently in the middle yes. of an election period uh, that runs up until what, March? 20? March 22nd. March I 22nd. So. And you have put your hat in the ring. I did. Tell these, us about your candidacy. These are the truth facts. Um, well, this year has just been uh, a really powerful year with everything that's been going on and happening. Um, within Minnesota and had just really felt led to be able to run for national um, with as much as I've been involved in and been doing as a part of Minnesota and with the task force. It just felt like the right time. I love it. I love it. And we'll uh, we'll definitely talk more about your candidacy as we go on. But uh, I think you'll all I'll see, especially for folks out there listening that don't know Larissa yet. Uh, you'll see that uh, she's got a lot to offer. Uh, not only, you know, she's already offering the Minnesota board, but a lot to offer the national board as well. Yeah, and part of, too, I mean, I've been at REACH for 14 years, but I also have a son who's on the spectrum. Um, he's g 11, so he's going to be 12 shortly. Um, and so that certainly is part of the passion and part of, you know, what, what fuels this for me, and in addition to just wanting to be able to expand capabilities for people. Absolutely. And I remember you uh, telling stories about your son. Uh, was that about a week ago? Yeah. On, on uh, at the hearing over yes. at the Capitol. So. Yes. We mm -hmm. had our first informational hearing for the bill um, that's going through to be able to end some minimum wage. And 
I like to be able to tell his story a little bit. And part of that is just being able to give him all of the options that he can have and dream up. Um, because in all reality, for his dream job, you can't limit that by productivity. Um, and that's just not a possibility to do. So, yeah. 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 Well, it was, uh, I, I listened to it all. And it was very well told and very powerful. So great to have you here, both of you here. And I just want to circle back to to something Larissa said when she was talking about her background. I came into the field myself, you know, in 1997, sort of at a crossroads. And I realized how important employment was for everyone. And it just, it stays in your heart. Once it's in your your heart, uh, it doesn't leave. So... All right, great stuff. Well, we're going to get into to our very important uh, topic today, which again is the task force on eliminating eliminating subminimum wages in Minnesota. So it's a big deal, and we're very excited uh, to have these two here today to tell us all that they've been up to. So, Larissa, why don't we start with you? Just sort of walk us through. There might be people watching today that have no idea what this task force is. So. Uh, Walk us through it a little bit. So originally this legislation had started back in 2019, 2020 with four self-advocates who had really wanted to be able to see subminimum wage end within Minnesota. Um, And currently there is one of them that is still standing who has been the one of the co-chairs of the task force. And she is a powerhouse um, on this subject and really has so much passion around it as well. So it's been amazing to be able to work with her, um, through this and have her as, has that co-chair. Um, but originally it started with somebody who just wanted to be able to submit a bill to end subminimum wage. And, um, we knew with our state's reliance on these facilities and these programs that we needed to be able to have a plan to be able to work through how we were going to do that and how we were going to be able to make sure that each person really has a place to be able to go to that they feel valued and enjoy being able to participate at. So um, we the state had um, put together and formed a task force to be able to create this plan to be able to end some minimum wage by August of 2025. And that is now what we've delivered. Um, there were four different work groups that were a part of the task force. And somehow I ended up being on all four of the work groups. I, I don't know how that happened. Um, well, we're not surprised. But it did. <laughs> and so we've covered a lot of the different topics that we really need to be able to focus on as a state to be able to move this forward. Fantastic. Alex, do you have anything you'd like to add? Um, no. Um, you can name Jillian Nelson. Um, yeah. She, uh, she, you guys just did a podcast with her not too long ago, and, yes, she's a mover and a shaker and, um, and a joy to work with. Um, it's, it's fun just to watch her go to work. And, and as she will often say, you know, she was a candidate for, for sub-minimum wage work until – her work at Awesome, they they customized a job for her that utilizes all of her strengths, um, and and her speech was incredible at the the hearing. It's one of the best I've ever heard. So and and that means a lot after forty years, you know. So yeah, I I would agree. I I watched that as well, and uh, I mean, you talk about somebody that was was born to do what she was doing it was truly in their their element i mean she is 
so strong at delivering that message, and uh, I was I was very impressed and uh, and and just proud that we had her on a on a podcast and that I, that I know her. Uh, the work that she's doing is amazing. So yeah, Jillian, so, if you're listening, keep it up. You're awesome. Um, I was just going to add that the task force finished their work recently, and all the recommendations came out, and they're out there. Um, I yeah, it's right here on the table. It's it's only that long, so one hundred and sixty eight pages. Quick, a quick read. Um, you know, you can skim through parts of it. The, the recommendations are up front, and, and so you can really get to that. And it's a really well thought out plan. Um, I actually was part of several of the work, well, at least two of the work groups, I think, uh, and most recently joined the task force right after they finished all their work. So, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. Well done. Yeah, perfect timing for that. Um, one of the individuals had to drop out, and so I'm, I'm replacing her. They have another year's worth of work to do um, in terms of implementing the recommendations, looking at the legislation that's coming out, et cetera. So. Yeah, walk us through some of these recommendations. You know, let's start with with sort of the transition plan part of it. Yep. So uh, what the task force did is we really separated out these recommendations into two separate groups. Um, one is what we're calling the transition plan, which is the fi- first five of the recommendations. Um, the first recommendation is, of course, ending subminimum wage. Um, and the plan is to be able to do that by August 2025. Um And then the other things that are included within that transition plan are being able to do some additional training um, for providers who want some extra help and assistance through those MTI grants, which Danielle and Don Lavin Mm -hmm. were on uh, the last podcast here a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, And currently they're working with eight different organizations within Minnesota, but being able to expand that out and work with um, other providers who want to be able to do that with them. Um, another piece is being able to provide education to individual practitioners and um, getting people some additional training on customized employment and how to do that and how to do that well. Um, Cause we know that that training really does make a huge difference in being able to have those outcomes to be able to move things forward for people. Um, another piece is being able to, go through and um, talk to different businesses about hiring people with disabilities and essentially building a disability-friendly employer through DEED um, system that we can uh, have them essentially say that they are a disability-certified employer. Um, and then the last one in there, oh, man. You know them better than me. I know, um, is... There's two things with businesses. One is doing the certification and one is the education. Oh, and then the other one is just more of a um, campaign to be able to talk about uh, why it's a good thing to be able to hire people with disabilities. More public that way. Okay. All right. Good. Uh, and, And anything more you can tell us about like system improvements and system change? So that's really built into the last 15 <laughs> of those recommendations. Which are um, right about here. Yep, yep. I think those part, start on page 40-ish, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but 
they are more of all of those different things that we need to be able to do to improve the system. So it's rate improvements to be able to expand the usage uh, for our employment services, better communication for the E1MN system. So it's more coordinated from uh, the Department of Education, Department of Human Services, um, and then with VR services as well. Um, a lot of it is case management education that really is so needed and so necessary across the state. Um, another piece of that is the uh, just information that's on DB101 and Disability Hub and really being able to expand that out, expanding informed choice and really having some good conversations with each person as they hit different milestones um, that they would have within their transition program and at every um, annual meeting that each person has as well. Um, yeah, there's there's so much in here that is so good and so helpful that if we as a state can actually go through and adopt some of these things, there would be some real significant changes for the people that we work with. And I'll just add one last one, um, is that there um, is a recommendation around improving day services, mm-hmm. because I think one of the concerns and, and one of the comments that's being made a lot is, well, day services will just go away and people will be forced to sit at home. And no one wants that. That recommendation has been around for a long time to make sure that people still have meaningful options when they don't choose employment or maybe employment services aren't as available as we would like them yet. And so... So we, we really want to make sure that we're strengthening those programs, not weakening those programs. So people will still have choices. They can still choose not to work. Um, but we want to make sure that, that those are, are meaningful options for them. Yeah. Um, another one of the big things in the first five was the data system that we can actually use and have good information around as well. Because that's one of the things that the state really lacks is being able to have good information about how many people are in subminimum wage roles, how much money they're making, how many hours a week they're working in that, how many hours a week they're in day services. And we know that there's more outcomes around that than just how many hours a week a person is working or how much they're making. We want to be able to really make sure that people have good, happy, stable lives. Yeah, I've been asking for a data system for about 20 years now. Um, and in fact, Don, I think, mentioned in your podcast that he has documents from the 80s in which we were <laughs> recommending that the state develop a data system. It's hard to know where and how much to improve. We we don't really know. We do know half of people in waiver services don't earn a single dollar in a year. But beyond that, it's hard to know where people are working, how much money they're making. Um, a, a small percentage, I think it's 18%, are making more than $600 a month. Um, but beyond that, we just have three categories, none, one to five ninety nine, and 600 and above. So it would be really great to, to really get that information. It's out there, just no one's done anything with it. Yeah. Right. It would be a real, real key piece and, and give us some cron- concrete data so we would really know where we're lacking, where we need to go. And uh, a lot of this to me is about not just saying, oh, you can have a job, but you can actually have uh, affluence. You can, you know, that a real job is truly a, a pathway out of pa- poverty right. and, and isolation. It's really yes. the only as pathway. As we like to say. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very true. Very true. The pathway. The pathway. The pathway. <laughs> Unless you win the lottery, which I never play the lottery, so yeah. I'm not going to win. You have a much better chance of getting a job. A much than you better do. chance. Yeah. Especially much in better today's chance. economy. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? 
Uh, very true. So let's let's talk a little bit. We we talked about the hearing, you yes. know, that, that you and Jillian uh, were a part of recently. And Raquel. And, and Raquel, yeah. thank you, and some others. So let's talk about how this task force, its recommendation will really – recommendations will really translate into legislation. Let's talk about uh, – t- sure. tell us about that. So um – I was really, really, really excited to see that the recommendations were actually built into the governor's budget this year. Um, I might have had a little bit of a happy dance and a celebratory celebration for myself that day. Um, We're all going to want to see that, by the way. (laughs) The celebratory dance? Yeah, I'll do a little jig later. Um, (laughs) But that was super fun to see and just really reaffirms... um, you know, our leadership's dedication to be able to really move this issue forward, um, within the state and having something like that be in the state, in the governor's budget is, I think, the first time that something like that's happened. Yeah, for sure. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal, guys. Um, so it's, it's in the governor's budget, but in addition to that, we have formed the, um, Coalition on Disability Wage Justice. Thank you for all of those words. There, it's a lot of them. I know. Yeah. Um, so we formed that in addition. And with that, we have some other le- the legislation coming through on that side as well. Um, there's a couple of key differences between the governor's budget bill that's going to be coming out and the coalition's bill, um, mainly just around timelines and how long we think that this will take to be able to get it done. Um and that's really the biggest difference. Yeah, the those. other one is um, our uh, the bill that the coalition's working on eliminates it. The, the changes the law. The governor only eliminates it for people um, in waivered services. Right. So, and there's a lot more. I mean, there's people who are on county funded services that then this would be able to continue for, which right. we think it should end for everyone. So, what are the timelines, and what's next for pushing? So, um, things are coming up quickly. Uh, today was, uh, the first committee deadline, um, within the legislature. Second committee deadline is the 24th of this month. So we need to be able to have a hearing at the Senate, um, to be able to keep this bill alive and going. Um, so we know that the bill was introduced <coughs> at the Senate, um, by Erin Maquad, and she is some, certainly somebody who is championing championing this for us and really wants to be able to see this through. It's been referred to the Human Services Committee there, so we're just waiting to see when we can go through and get a hearing on that. Um, But the bill that we have going through for the coalition would end it by the task force's um, uh, deadline that we were put we were tasked to come up with a plan to be able to create by. So that was August, 2025. Um, and then the governor's budget pushes it out to five years. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very exciting. Yeah. So, I mean, we're getting together with some different people to be able to put together some testimony, um, putting together some different letters of support, um, getting some different organizations who provide services to be able to then send in letters of support, have their logos be on our one-pagers that we're um, handing out to legislators. And we've met with about half of the different members of the different committees already um, to be able to have those meetings with those individual legislators and really be able to talk to them about it. Because so many legislators don't know what this really is and what this really means and what this does for people. So so for the folks out there listening today, uh, 
is in, in, and maybe they're listening and they're saying, wow, I want to support this. I want to help. Uh, are there some concrete action steps they can take? Yeah, they can contact their legislators, whether that be in an email, setting up a meeting with them, um, and re- really just go and talk to them. Tell them that you feel strongly about wanting to be able to end some minimum wage um, wages for people with disabilities, and they can then we can certainly get you the bill numbers. But <laughs> uh, if you tell them that, they certainly will know what bill they're talking about and want to be able to. Um, move it forward. And it's a really important thing to be able to get more legislators on board with this and just inform them so that they can continue to push their party to be able to mm-hmm. be in alignment around this yeah. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Get out there. Get out there, folks. Alex, you wanted to, to add something. Oh, I thought you did. I saw, no, I I think I saw I'm you good. nodding. Okay. <laughs> Alex is good for the record. All right. Well, yeah, this is exciting. And I do remember the bill number in the hearing. I mean, I don't remember the number, but I remember them referring to it as the number. But uh, I think uh, you're absolutely right. I think if you contact your legislature through email, phone message, whatever it is, and you talk about the bill to end sub-minimum wage, they're going to know what what you're talking about. Yeah. So. We've had a presence up there. That's yes, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, there's a real uh, groundswell here that uh, that we've never seen before. I mean, this is really years mm-hmm. of work in the making. Right. And it's it feels like we're really on the precipice here. Yeah, I will add, add something. Um, I think, you know, Composure, I think, was the first provider to, to stop using our 14C certificate, which is the certificate through the Department mm-hmm. of Labor that allows you to pay people less than minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't know that we ever even knew what we were doing. It was just the process of shifting to individualized mm-hmm. employment, et cetera. But we're seeing more and more providers do this. Um, just a few years ago, there were only six of us that had eliminated it. There were some providers that, you know, had never had one. Um, Me. But, mm-hmm. right. Um, <laughs> but, but in terms of, there were only like six organizations eligible for some funding that came out mm-hmm. that could only go to providers that did not yeah. use a 14C certificate. Mm-hmm. Now we're up to a, at least a dozen yeah. um, that are have either gotten rid of it or are getting rid of it. I mean, and soon it's going to be 20 or so. Sure. Um, you know, it's just more and more examples that this doesn't have to right. bankrupt an organization. There are ways to do this. We've offered lots of um, advice and technical assistance to organizations about how to move forward on it, to how to grow their employment programs. And, and we're seeing a real shift in that, in that. And a mm-hmm. lot of providers have recognized this is an archaic law and a, and a practice and needs yeah. to go away. It was 1938. 1938. Yeah. Meant for that. soldiers coming back from World mm-hmm. War. Yeah. Mm-hmm. World yeah. War One. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it's just time. Um, and I think a lot of people recognize that. We know that it's been introduced in Congress, mm-hmm. in both the House and Senate there. They're saying it's not if, it's when. So providers that are forward-looking are going to get on board with this. They're going to start now. They're going to you know, use all the time they have, whether that's two years or five right. years, to really get on board with this. Because if people are waiting, if providers are waiting they're yeah. going to be stuck. Yeah. And so that's really the impetus mm-hmm. to have a plan. You know, yeah. when Jillian first testified and some of the other individuals, um, you know, self-advocates testify, it's like, mm-hmm. don't we want to have a plan? Yeah. Because we know this is inevitable. Yes. It's yes. going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. So, as Jillian uh, likes to say, the train has left the station. Correct. It is rolling down the track. <laughs> yeah. Time to get on board. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that, those are all really, really good points. Really good points. Our producers give me a little train whistle uh, in the background here. 
All right. So let's talk about the future, you know, which I think we're all all very excited about. Yeah. Uh, you know, what are are some of uh you know, your hopes and dreams that will come from this this uh, you know, the impact from this legislation and just in general, you know, what are your real you know, big picture visions. Well, one thing that I'll just say about this too is, um, I mean, there's been a lot of work that's been done already to be able to get us to this point, and that cannot be overlooked and overseen. Um, there's been so much research that's been put forth about the benefits of customized employment and the methods of how to be able to do that and move that forward, um, not only within Minnesota, but nationally. Um, and so we're we're at a really just critical critical, critical point. And I feel like we're very much at a tipping point with this. Um, but part of this is, you know, I'd really like to be able to see this through and make this happen um, for my own son. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to be able to grow up in a world that some minimum wage exists and where people are viewed as less than um, just because of the fact that they have a disability and then they're able to get paid as less than for that. So um, for me, it's, it's really personal. Um, and I just want to be able to make sure that I'm seeing that through for him. Um, but also for other people just in general, um, you know, I'm, I'm a very macro level person and what can we do Mm -hmm. to be able to make the biggest change for the most people possible? And this is it, Mm -hmm. this is it. This is what has the biggest impact. Yeah. It really sets a new standard of expectation for all people. Yeah. And it's fascinating to watch people that are opposed to this. Mm -hmm continue to argue, well, some people, people like Jillian, well, they can have a job. But here's this person. And in our our field, we often use the term, they're really, really disabled. Mm -hmm. They're not just really disabled or just disabled. They're really, really like, you know, I guess it's okay to discriminate against that person because they're really, really discriminating. And where's the line? Where do we say, you know, it's okay for you to get a job and get payment, but but this person just doesn't deserve the same rights as everyone else? Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. It's disturbing that people could even make that argument. Right. And that people might buy into that and then call it choice. It's like, no, this is, this is civil rights issue. Mm -hmm. It's not about providers practices. It's not about any of that. Either, either you're choosing to say people with disabilities have value and should be treated with dignity and respect, or you're saying, no, they're less than that. You know, some people it's okay, but others aren't. I mean, really? That's, that's the argument. And I, I'm just like, it's 2023. Come on, guys. You, you know. Well, and what surprises me most about it is it's parents saying that about their own children a lot of times. Yeah. Um, to be able to keep them in the mm-hmm. different places that they're at that are doing this work. Um, and so I had a conversation with a parent last week about this. And this was a parent who had had their son in a um, subminimum wage role and in a subminimum wage organization. Um, and he viewed it as, as a possibility for him to be able to get out into the world. And, you know, the simple question that I came down to asking him is, did your son ever get asked if he wanted to make more money? Mm-hmm. And he was like, Oh, of course the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. But he never asked him. Right. Um, right. And so asking those mm-hmm. questions and really you know, being able to then go through that discovery process with each person to be able to find out where their passions are, where their skills are, um, who they know, and how they can connect that then to employment is is a really important piece that a lot of times just people haven't had the capability to do or didn't even know exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and just got back from Indiana last yeah. night. Yes. Um, I was at the Indiana APSI conference and, and um, speaking there. And one of the questions we were asked is, you know, what about parents? Um, and, and certainly there are some parents that, you know, have a harder time with the whole process, um, can be an obstacle sometimes to their children being a success. But what I also pointed out is they've been beat down for so long by the system that says, Mm -hmm. your child's not capable, here's your child's deficiencies, all the other things that get people eligible for services, that after a while, you start believing it. You start believing the lies that, oh, well, you know, your child could never have a competitive job without thinking about the fact that what that means is it's working for a business for the same wages as everybody else doing that same job. It doesn't mean somebody has to work 40 hours a week. They could work one hour a week and have a competitive job. Right. It's whatever works for that person, whatever their skills, interests. Sure. You know, For some people, working an hour a day is a lot. Mm-hmm. And for some people, not so much. Um, and so can we just get back to what people are capable of mm-hmm. and also give some parents some grace to understand that maybe they've mm-hmm. spent so many years being told something right. that just isn't true. Um, you know, and people are going to say, Alexander says everybody can work. Well, I don't know if everybody can work or not, but I'm not going to choose the line. If somebody says they want to, then we're going to try and help them find a job, you know, and it might be more difficult for some people than others. But we've seen time and time again that when people are given the opportunity, they shine, you know, and when they don't, we see things like. You know, early in my career, when work with people with challenging behaviors, um, you know, they don't like what they're doing and they're going to tell you one way or another. Sometimes that's throwing the work in your face. Sometimes that's whacking you with a hard lunchbox. Both of these have happened to me in my career. Um, (laughs) But let's get to something. Let's ask the questions, you know. it doesn't hurt anything to ask, would you like to have a job in the sure. community? Would you like to make more money? These are not bad things. These are good things. But some folks are feeling like that's forced upon us by these rules. It's like, no, let's just for once have an acronym that starts with the letter E that stands for employment instead of having it be the last letter in sure. a series of you know choices that people might have. Mm-hmm. After 40 years, it's kind of just all I really want. Yeah. So yeah. Presumed competence. Presumed competence. Yeah, Presumed I mean, that's why we, we have employment first legislation that passed that says employment is the first and preferred option yeah. rather than opting out of or having to opt into employment. You know, mm-hmm. it's expected that people can work, that want to work, and if you don't, well, then you opt out. Right, and that whole idea of expectations is critical to mm-hmm. all of this. It it's not about forcing anything. It's about thinking of people in a positive manner and right. looking for mm-hmm. their their strengths yeah. rather than always looking for people's deficiencies. We all have them, right? right? So, you know, we have overcome a lot of them to, to move on in our lives and our careers and sometimes just getting to work, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> not yelling at the car in front of me is a really important <laughs> deficiency that I need to overcome. Right. But that doesn't mean I can't work each day because I don't have that. And and too often we've set this specific set of standards that people need to meet that nobody meets in their daily life. But we've decided that these are the things that people with disabilities have to overcome to be able to have a competitive job. No, they don't. We can find them something and, and we're seeing it every day. We've never seen the massive growth that we're seeing over the last two years. Who thought a pandemic would drive this important change for people with disabilities in terms of opportunities for employment? Yeah. We all have different things that are accommodations in our jobs. 
we just don't call them accommodations unless you're a person with a disability. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, you know, one of the mantras in, in uh, customized employment and sort of the beginnings of, of, of helping people with disabilities find work was Try Another Way, you know, by mm-hmm. Mark Gold, right? That was Mark Gold. Yep. And uh, the pandemic forced all of us, you know, uh, Kevin Kling pointed this out uh, in the last podcast, forced all of us to try another way and is driving innovation, creativity, and uh, just, you know, speaking for our company, we're, we're helping people find more jobs than we ever have before. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the other things that I would just um, point out, too, with what you were talking about with the parents and uh, all of the different documentation and all of the different paperwork and all of the different psyche valves, right, that people have to be able to get the services that they need. One of my favorite things to be able to do is to prove those wrong. I love proving them wrong. And watching people get jobs, watching people live independently, watching people manage their own checkbooks. Um, it's it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, we've had a number of, of people refer to us over the years. It's somewhere in their paperwork it says, couldn't possibly work. Yep. And then yep. we we find them a job. So yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. It's amazing. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's been so wonderful uh, having you both here. We could talk literally for hours. Yes. Uh, and even though, <laughs> even though our conversation, at least on this, this podcast is, is about to come to a close, uh, the conversation and the journey is not, uh, not over and, and it's a continuum that will always, always be there. Um, you know, I just uh, want to thank you both. Do you have any closing words before we we start to wrap it up? Hmm. Well, I'll just say, mm-hmm. as someone who was on the national board, vote for Larissa. <laughs> if you have an organization, you have eight votes. Use eight them to all. twelve. Eight to twelve. <laughs> make sure you have people voting early and often. Um, so that we can make sure we get some representation from Minnesota. It's been too long since we've had a, a national board member from yeah. Minnesota. Yeah, so. I, I echo those comments. And if you are a voting, if you're listening today and you're a voting member, uh, please vote uh, for Larissa. If you're not a member and you'd like to become one, we would absolutely love that. Uh, go on to APSE.org and become a member. Uh, because, uh, you know, as, as, as Bill Mills like to, likes to say, we're all smarter together and uh, we need everyone. Uh, everybody means everybody. I will just say this. I know Larissa and I know her well. So I've, I've said that uh, we're not only friends, but we're also colleagues in this in this movement. But if I just met you or if I was out there listening and I didn't know you, mm-hmm. uh, I would say to myself, I'm going to vote for this person. <laughs> yeah. And there's no doubt in my mind. So, yeah, so thank you. Did you have any any closing comments? I'm just constantly astounded by everything that's happened to be able to get us to this point. And it's it's just so cool to be at this juncture and really be able to just watch all of this happen and unfold. And I'm just thrilled to be able to be here and yeah. um, be a part of it and really... Uh, working to be able to move this forward. So well, we, we are thrilled that you're thrilled and that you are a part of it and for all of your work uh, and you as well, Alex. So uh, Larissa Beck, <laughs> John Alexander, AKA Alex, thank you so much. Yeah, Thank and you, Chris. Absolutely. It's, it's been a real pleasure. And 
If you're out there, you know, listening, thank you for joining us today. Uh, please, you know, spread the word about the Minnesota APSI podcast. Uh, we're, we're building a listener base uh, more and more every day. So uh, please feel free to share it with your friends. And by all means, if you believe it, you can achieve it.